0: And welcome to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. This is my opportunity to talk to leaders and thinkers in the world of sports, theater, tickets, the performing arts, wherever, about the challenges and opportunities created by providing experiences and events for others. My guest today is a good buddy of mine, Ken Troop. Ken is the Senior Director of Business Development at Forefront. We spent a great deal of time on this episode kind of covering a lot in the world of sports business. We talked about um, career development, some of the advice he's given to uh, common friends of ours. Uh, we talked about some of the challenges and opportunities created by about customer experience. We talked about Ken's philosophy of building one customer, one fan at a time, which I thought was really, really great. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Ken. Hey, Ken, welcome to the Business of Fun. How are
1: you? Uh, I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks uh, thanks a lot for having me. I appreciate it.
0: No, thank you so much for doing this. So I wanted to have you on because I know that you have a really diverse background. And like you've worked in baseball, you worked in hockey, now you're a consultant. Aren't are we all consultants? Um, and so I wanted <laughs> I wanted to have a conversation with you about kind of uh, digital marketing and sports marketing in general and you know some of the best practices that you see and some of the um, places where you'd like to see improvement. Where I guess I'll start, though, is because I know that now you are part of Team Forefront, and you guys just went through a big um, rebranding not not too long ago. Um, So I want to ask you, you know, what's going on with Team Forefront? Just so um, what's working and what's, you know, what have you been challenged with since the rebrand?
1: Well, first of all, it's simply Forefront. There's no team in the front of it, so it's just... But you're part of the team. (laughs) Yeah, I'm part of the team of Forefront, Correct. Um, so yeah, the, the rebrand. We um, you know we were formerly PCG Sports Desk, which was really just kind of a mashup of two different companies: PCG, which was a group uh, started by Dan McGala and Josh Chrysler in Chicago a few years back, and then Sports Desk Media, which was kind of the brainchild of uh, a friend of uh, Josh and Dan's, Eric Fernandez, um, focused on digital media. Um, so at the National Sports Forum last February. We really kind of decided that we have a really good business, but maybe not a great brand because we had merged both companies together and kind of mashed the names together. That's where we decided to to develop the forefront uh, name, and you know that kind of goes right and complements our four core areas of focus, which are analytics, digital media, you know, innovation, um, strategy work, and um, and um, sponsorship sales. So, but it's been a, it's been great because we've had a really nice um, lift uh you know we made a nice kind of splashy debut um with the rebrand at the national sports forum and it was a really great um really great thing ron sievers uh, you know a great guy and, and really does a nice job and uh he was great to us to allow us to kind of um, partner up with him to uh, make this big announcement
0: awesome now let me you you brought up the core, the four core areas of what you do and one of yeah. them that really stuck us um, you know, stood out to me was innovation. And yeah. innovation is something I don't think a lot of people attach to the world of sports business or entertainment, you know, which are some of the, the areas a lot, a lot of my focus is on. So how do you guys, ide- you define innovation? And, you know, what does innovation look like for you when you're working with a partner?
1: Well, um, that's a good question. Really, I mean, the the thing that we find a lot and we forget when you work at a club, like we're we're so busy doing our jobs that we forget that a lot of our job is like having the time to sit back and think about what's next, new ideas, kind of reimagining, you know, how to change and, and, and bring a new revenue and things like that. So that's what our team is really good at. We're really good at coming in and basically help to be in that extra 20%, allowing you to, you know... Let's have a you know a big roundtable discussion with everybody in the organization to talk about you know things that we could do to improve, and let's uh, then put that into a long-term strategy to to implement it. You know, so it it, it we really serve as um, a resource to um, you know a club or a team or a school or whoever, um, you know, a resource to kind of think about how can we you know ramp things up because there's all these great ideas out there. But we get so busy doing our jobs that we don't have time to put all the great ideas together and actually implement them. So that's what we really do. We're really good at that.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because, you know, I know that we both market in the world of ideas, right? Because, I mean, really that's most of what any of us do. And one of the challenges I know for any organization is there are so many ideas. Um, You know, what does kind of the process look like for you guys to – help people prioritize new ideas and most importantly to take action on some new ideas because you know we both realize that an idea without any action attached to it is kind of worthless
1: yeah um that's a good question well i mean first of all the, the most important step is really identifying the ideas right and it's could be anywhere in the organization you know from top to bottom where it's the most senior level person that's been there for a long time to you know the um, inside sales rep or the intern that's been there for you know six months, and you know thinking about okay, here's here's an idea. How can we've never thought about this? And so really trying to like put all those ideas together, and then our team will go back and say okay, let's look at it and understand really what the best ones are. Um, Brian Gaynor is is uh, our VP of innovation, and he leads our leads this group or leads this team. And, you know, his group will sit together and really talk about, okay, here's all these great ideas. Which one's the best that have the most um, impact are going to make the biggest difference are really going to drive, um, you know, drive um, new revenue, um, new exposure, earn media. You know, we really want to make sure that we're thinking about ideas that are going to help our partners, our clients um you know, really, um, you know, get that focus in the sports business journal or get that blog mentioned and things like that about being an innovative group. So that's something that we're really focused on. And we, so we'll look at all the ideas. We'll look at, okay, here's the best of the best. How can we implement them? And then we give them a very detailed kind of roadmap to how to accomplish that.
0: And it's interesting to me that you brought up earned media because, you know, having done some work in politics and then in nightclubs and entertainment and everything, earned media is really extremely valuable. And where I guess my next question kind of leads is like you mentioned SBJ, right? Which we know is an industry thing. Um, but how much of the focus is on earned media externally outside of the industry? Because one of the challenges I know that we both talk about a lot in both of our respective roles is the need to uh, drive people into the, the, the stadiums, into the arenas, into the events a little more. And yeah. you know, how much focus of the earned media or the innovation you know how much of that that is emphasized?
1: Yeah. Well, this is definitely not my day to day expertise. Brian Gaynor's the, the the man for us on this on this point. But I know the key. One of the keys is really to be able to get that you know that um, media on your you know that's talking about your club or your team or your school. You know, in those non traditional you know like Forbes. You know, uh, Forbes is a great Twitter follow. You know, they do some great sports business stuff. Um, you know even talking about lifestyle things I was reading an article today about um, a club that recently did kind of like a wine tasting event and it was in the lifestyle section of the paper like you're going to get people reading that that wouldn't necessarily you know you know be in the sports page to find you in the first place so that might be that aha moment of oh you know what there's something really nice going on out here with my ballpark my stadium my arena I need to get out there even though I'm not you know particularly a fan of that sport but you know I love wine so let's go out.
0: That, that reminds me of there's a young lady that I am uh, in contact with a colleague uh, Holly Mulcahy I believe I say her name she's at the Chattanooga Symphony Orchestra and she's really innovative in thinking of ways to introduce people to the symphony and to the orchestra and the wine tasting is like a one bit one of the big things and you know I think that really is something that on the whole we have to be a little more cognizant of is like opening doors like any way possible. Right. Because I think the, maybe I don't think the days of the traditional sports fan fan are um, are dead. You know, I I don't think that's the case, but I do think that the way we engage and create demand has to change. And I think that, um, you know, something like wine or beer or any of these things that have become popping up in our niche are definitely, um, you know, interesting ways to bring people in. But, you know, yeah. I, I know well, this innovation isn't your necessarily your day-to-day. So,
1: Yeah, when I was working for a club, you know, I would always have the time. I just had this conversation with someone the other day um, about, look, our challenge is to get people into the stadium or the ballpark or the arena that had never been there before and hope they see something they like on the merits of the team or whatever and want to come back, right? That's why I always use my, my big um, – go-to case study I guess for this is the Colorado Rockies uh, rooftop you know if you go to that rooftop in Denver you know you'll see a bunch of 20 something sitting around drinking a beer chatting up their buddies talking to their friends you know sitting down and maybe catching a little baseball and it, to me that's the perfect scenario because they're there they're going to get exposed to the brand they're going to get exposed to the game and things like that and then maybe you want to come back on their own accord and actually catch a few innings of you know rather than the socializing ex- uh, you know point of it too. This is really a lot of the stuff that we do on the analytics side is really like diving into someone you know a team's fan base and really understanding you know some of these um, some of these tendencies of a fan you know how they you know if they are foodies if they're you know health nuts if they're things like that because the the ticket geek and me always geeks you know kind of. Um, uh, uh, heightens up when I'm looking at that kind of stuff because I'm like, Oh, there's a group hospitality opportunity. Oh, there's a group hospitality opportunity, you know, thinking about, you know, um, um, you know, farmers markets and things like that that you can have pregame and postgame and stuff like that, or even exposing them to your ballpark or your, your, your facility on an off day, you know, by hosting a farmer's market. If you've got a, a over, if you're over indexing for, for healthy eaters and, and green, you know, um, um, you know, fans, then, you know, having a farmer's market, your ballpark or your arena, or your stadium is not a bad way to go because you're going to expose them to the thing and then they might come back for a game. So and if you do that pregame, you know, um, you know, or have, you know, one of the, a chef come in and talk about healthy eating or something like that and have that kind of event, you know, that's a good, good, you know, straight up hospitality uh, group event that you could put on fairly easily.
0: Yeah, and I think we maybe underestimate um, the importance and the value that people, fans, or consumers would gain from something like this. Um, I remember when I was in Seattle and the SuperSikes when Howard Schultz, who I guess is running for president now, uh, owned the team. He was very good about this about you know creating opportunities for people to engage not just the, even at the game but before the game. You know, yeah. business leaders or networking opportunities yeah. or all these events. Yeah. Um, But when you open, you you start talking about analytics and I have a question because I'm always sort of maybe baffled is the word I want to use. Uh, Maybe uh, confused is another word, you know, somewhere in there is sometimes it feels like organizations are using the data to just make the decision. Like they let the data do the heavy lifting, and they let the data, it's kind of like that IBM, that thing you can't get fired for hiring IBM. And the same thing seems to happen with data, right? Well, the data said to do this, let's just do it. And what I've always felt is a um, much more valuable use of data is to use it to test hypothesis, right? Like I have a, a some crazy hairbrained idea, which we know I have daily. Um, you know, how can I f- use the data to figure out whether or not I'm just, uh, either I'm onto something or I'm completely, you know, crazy. Um, yeah. You know, how, how do you manage that process and how do you deal with analytics? Is it one or the other or a little bit of both?
1: Well, you know, me being old school guy, I always want to trust my gut over over anything, but I've obviously, um, as you know, we have know each other, you know, I've developed and I've, I've blended this appreciation for the old school gut kind of feel and the analytics and the data and things like that. But to your point, that's a really good way to think about, okay, here's what my gut is telling me. Let me see if I can find the numbers that can back this up, you know, or vice versa. You look at the numbers, the numbers are telling you something that this is what you need to do. But if your gut is like, look, this doesn't seem right or feel right or things like that, you definitely want to vet that out a little bit further and things like that. I don't think you can one way or the other completely trust standalone gut anymore or standalone data anymore. You have to marry the two together in the middle.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I feel. I'm like you. I'm a little bit old school and, you know, like gut drives me a lot. And then I try to figure it out. And it leads me to another question, which I know is very much a challenge for all of us, is while we might be, have a, a hypothesis, our gut might be telling us a certain thing, and we might be looking for, the, like you said, looking through the data to see if the numbers line up, how do you fight confirmation bias so that I don't, you know, like you or me don't just go look for the numbers that are going to fit the story we're trying to tell?
1: You know, I think you, you, you can combat that by, you know, um, including others, you know, up and down within the organization of making sure that they're all looking at through the numbers and, and through the data to understand and make sure you're looking for the same confirmation, I guess, so that, you know, you're not looking at it with blinders on. I mean, I guess if you have 10 people all looking at it with blinders on, they, they all might get 10 different opinions, which is a good thing, right? But you might have 10 looking with blinders on and seven of the 10 all see the same thing. So um, I guess that's, that's, that would answer your question, right? Like you want to think, you want to make sure that you, um, you know, you don't look at the data and only look for the points that you want to find, right? Which is probably a hard concept to understand sometimes, but you just have to be disciplined with like being open-minded as you're looking at the data and and looking at these, at these, you know, these potential ideas on, um, oh, that could work. Yeah, I can see how that could work. So and, and making sure you're looking at all the different data points.
0: Yeah, and and the way you explained it, it, it you know it it makes sense to me. And one of the one of the things that is sort of interesting is you know you said oh there are ten people different people looking at the data, and you get ten different answers, which to me, I think is great, right? Because, again, if everybody's do, going in one direction, I'm a little bit of the mindset that, like, what's wrong, right? You yeah. Know, so how do you work to fight that sort of groupthink? Because we know both of us realize that like, you know, it's very easy to fall into that trap.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. You know, I actually talked a little bit about that groupthink philosophy, um, with my students at SMU this, this last semester. Um, you know, I, I think that you have to, um, to, to, to fight through that. I think as the leader of the group, you really gotta set the tone and, and, and lay out the parameters and what you want out of this process of analyzing this data or whatever the case may be, and, and clearly define that it. look, it's okay, like if you don't agree, that's fine. Just make sure you you bring, you know, the the data to back that up and encourage them to kinda of think differently, I guess. Does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. And, you know, again, we keep opening doors to, to rundown. And one of the, I guess the challenge that I see a lot, too, is that even, you know, you or me have been in positions where we'll be like, I, I don't care what the answer is. I just want to know what it is. You know, if you disagree with me and there's, you know, reason and justific- you know, justification for it. Great. Yet there's still a reluctance to do that. You know and and so and i know you probably don't have a perfect answer the same way i don't have a perfect answer um you know but how do you uh, make sure that there are um a divergent uh, you know different variable ideas coming in you know and not just like hey i'm asking you for your opinion and you don't just parrot mine
1: yeah i mean i just think it, it starts and ends with transparency and just being as open as possible not as not not as open as possible. Being open with your staff and with the people that are involved in the process, and making sure that you know you give them they're all their own autonomy to to look at it independently and come up with their own ideas, and just reinforce the fact that it's okay to come up with your own own ideas.
0: Yeah, that I mean that sort of mirrors has always mirrored the way I've dealt with it because I I always fall back on a story of a young lady I worked with. Um, when I was doing the Obama campaign in 2012 for the AFL-CIO. And this young lady didn't really get a chance on her team to have any autonomy and to do any work. And the thing was, like, I was like, if you screw up, I don't care, right? All I care is that you try really hard, you know, or, like, if you have a different idea, I don't care. And then you kind of back that up with, like, your action. So it was like, what she gave me the first time didn't work, right? But I was like, well, here's why – and then I walked her through it. This is why this doesn't work, but if we tweak – Three or four words, then it works great, and like, yeah. and that was like really eye-opening. And I think that, um, you know, the way you've described it and is very similar to the way I do. And if more people did it, we would get a lot better ideas. Yeah, um, and I think that's um, we both can agree that we need more good ideas to to be constantly flowing through our businesses, our organizations, and our sports, or, yeah. or just our business, entertainment business properties in general.
1: Well, it's 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 right when you think that you've got it mastered, is when you're sunk, right? You've always got to be looking for that next idea and how can I improve and things like that. You know, you know, you see this all the time with with clubs that are you know killing it with attendance and they really get kind of they rest on their laurels a little bit and they don't they aren't focused on constant customer service and really that going the extra mile and things like that to making sure that all those fans are going to stay with them or or a majority of those fans are going to stay with them during the lean times, you know, same principle when you're thinking about, you know, innovation and new ideas and things like that, you always got to be thinking about how can I improve? What can I do to get better? Um, You know, not only from individually, right. But from a department head or department, um, you know, um, uh, within an organization. So.
0: And you, you know, the selling, despite the record thing, you know, that I'm a, a big advocate and proponent of, your record shouldn't necessarily be the only thing you're selling on um yeah and one of the challenges i see and i know oh man i wish i had i had to forgot the name but i heard that you uh gave some really great career advice to some kids uh when you were with the with the arizona with the arizona hockey team okay. <laughs> but but um but i guess what i'm curious at since you've been on both sides inside and out is you know how can we and i guess let me back it up this question about Selling, despite the record, it's easy to, spell, to sell to sell when they're winning, right? It's much easier, but it's not easy to sell when you're losing. But with such high turnover on the team side, you know how can we create some consistency so that there is the likelihood that you're able to develop a fan base that sticks with you in good times and bad.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think I think that starts and ends with, um, and we talked about this on Twitter chat last night a little bit about. You know, I think you have to build a plan when you're doing your planning for the next year. You got to build a plan that's going to anticipate you losing and not being good and the downtimes, you know, and which includes all the little things, you know, the 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 increased customer service, the you know, the calling uh, fans, you know, not just asking for money, but just to say, hey, you catch that ball game last night? The in-seat service, you know, visits, things like that. You know, the one-off events, the private catches in the outfield, you know, all these different things that you should be doing all the time, regardless of whether you're winning or losing, is is going to help you build the consistency of, of a loyal fan base, right? There's no perfect answer here, unfortunately. I mean, look, the dirty little secret is wins and losses do affect your ability to sell. They do. But you can't go in with the mentality of man too many losses I'm done I can't sell you can't go with that mentality you have to stay positive and you have to you have to I haven't I've always had a theory and um, a buddy of mine Colin Fochter who works at the Cubs um, kind of developed this way back in the day at the Rangers like I've always had the the thought that look uh, you gotta win if you can win one fan over at a time you're doing your job you know and it's all the little things and when you work at a team you forget that how cool it is to go to a ballpark or a stadium or an arena or whatever. Right. Um, and you know, all often, you know, when I'm working for a club, I'll, I'll spend, you know, two or three innings or the period breaks or the quarter breaks or whatever, like just walking up and down the seating bowl saying, Hey, I'm, you know, Ken troop with the team. Thanks for coming out. We appreciate your business. Can I answer any questions for you? You know, and that like you go to the, you go to the upper row of the last, win somebody over one at a time, that's going to blow somebody away. I've had so many people, I've got so many nice cards and things like that over the years. of like, hey, you came by my seat and visited me. I really appreciate that. My kid loved it. had a good time. You came back with a ball, whatever. You know, if everybody, I think you take that approach that, look, my job when I'm working for a club is to win over and build fans, right? And win over one fan at a time. If I have to do one fan at a time, I got to do one fan at a time, you know? And if you think that way, I think it's not as affected by wins and losses.
0: And that one fan at a time thing is really important because I think that just as much as you're talking about winning one fan over at a time, the opposite effect is also true. And I know that I spend, I've spent a lot more time lately out at ball games and at concerts and in in the theater and everything. Um, I guess I've just been a lot busier. (laughs) But (laughs) one of the things, one of the fastest ways that like you lose fans is if your service isn't good or consistent yeah. or you don't seem like you care and and i see it a lot and because the thing is is like when you went when you win over like ken you go around you went over one fan that's not just one fan you've won over because yeah. that fan word of mouth shows the data shows that we're, they're going to turn, turn around and tell what three four five people right and so yeah. you're going to grow that exponentially by the same token we've seen that the negative word of mouth has an even greater impact to the negative right i, I mean i had um I was at the Anthem last Tuesday night for the Jack White concert, and I had somebody, you know, that knew kind of what I do and who I work with um, come up to me and go, like, complaining about the experience at one of these venues that in D.C., and I was like, "What? Well, I have the same complaints. It's not, like, me, but I was, like, going... This is like somebody just knew that I was involved in it and coming up and complaining. How many people are they missing out on? Because that's the impression. So, yeah. you know, how can we encourage people? And I know we're, we're limited in our role, but to really understand and invest in the, it's an emotional investment in customer service and developing fans one to one, like you were talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Customer service and really having a dedicated customer service um, department um, is, is, is key now, I think really to, you know, maintaining and, and keeping your FSC number and your season ticket base, you know, pretty stat, you know, static, right. Or pretty, you know, level set. Right. Um, you know, that's definitely something I've sw- I've flipped on over the years, you know, um, I, but with a caveat, I like, a, I like a service person that has a flair for sales so they can understand, those upsell opportunities, those ask for the referral opportunities and things like that, you know? So there's definitely a lot of benefit, but customer service and doubling down on customer service should always be, you know, 24 seven on strategy, right?
0: Well, I, th- I think you probably are familiar with my saying that the cheapest form of marketing is customer service. And, yeah, And, you know, and so I know that some of my first opportunities in the industry, um, either, you know, both in the theater and in sports, were definitely built out of my ability to deliver a great customer service and then having a bit of a marketing and selling mindset so that I was able to uh, generate new revenue off of the relationship, yeah. which is always yeah. like a, a bonus, right? Um, yeah. You know, so and so you'll never hear me say anything except for the customer has to be taken care of right and you know know, not all customers are right but you have to be consistently taking care of the customer
1: yeah you know back in the back in the day when you were you know selling tickets or you know blind over the phone and trying to convince you know people to buy you know i always had the my go-to was like look i'm telling you this is a quality seat this is why here's the here's the view the yada 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 uh, I'll tell you what. Anytime you're in this seat, you don't like it. You think I, I, I you know, um, it's not an enjoyable experience. You let me know, and I'll come down and bring you a free hot dog every night. You know, I don't think I had maybe but one or two people ever call me on that. Um, but you know, that kind of stuff, like just going that extra mile, and you know, back, used to, I remember used to run down to the stands, take a photo, email it to yourself, and then email the photo. When, when we had this big revolutionary thing called email. Uh, and a flip phone, you know, um, so you just always got to think about, you know, what can I do from a service standpoint to go the extra mile, you know, and always pay it forward. Yeah, my
0: question that I tell people to ask is like, well, how would I feel if this were me? Because, you know, this may be hard for people to empathize sometimes. And so I always ask it and say, well, how would you feel if it was me? You know, if it were, if this were happening to yeah. me. I'm guaranteeing you that it would change the way that people dealt with things a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shopping your product is, is probably something that doesn't happen uh, nearly enough.
1: I mean, the big thing to remember is that sometimes, often, in a, in a big venue like this, you know, you don't know who's in your stadium or in your ballpark or in your arena, like, you know, you can't take that for granted. You might have one opportunity to do something, you know, go over the top for this guy or do something a little extra to win this person over that's going to bring them back to, you know, four games next year, eight games of the year after that, to 10 the year after that. So you have to be able to kind of think about that.
0: Yeah, you, yeah, you always have to be thinking, you know, and, and again, this is quote probably something that I quote, quote myself on, but like you're always have to be thinking about what you can do a little bit better. And that, like, you're not going to get somebody to jump from a single game ticket buyer to a, you know, in baseball, 81 games, uh, yeah. In one fell swoop. You, you may, but it's going to be more likely than not. There's a customer path.
1: Well, I, I mean, that's always something throughout my career that I think is really important is, is making that proper stair step, you know, the back at the Rangers, you know, um, it's been, almost, almost 10 years since I was at the Rangers, but I was there for 12 years. And we used to think a lot about like, okay, what's the, how, what's the entry point package? And then, okay, that person is going to step up to this one. You can't make that jump too big because it's gotta be realistic, you know, and then you jump them up again. We used to talk about having like a three year plan of taking a partial season buyer to a full season buyer over a course of, you know, two years or three years. So I mean that kind of, you have to have that kind of long term vision and plan. And the faith to kind of stick by it. You can't, I I always talk about, um, you know, selling people what they want to buy. Don't sell them what you think they want to buy. Sell them what they want to buy. You know, don't try to jam them in a product or in a package or whatever that doesn't truly fit their needs. You know, that's how you really get, you know, and so with that, you don't try to then kick them up from 10 games to 81 or from eight games to 41, you know, the next year or whatever. You got to stair-step them up and you have to. You know, um, you have to put the conditions in place for the fans to grow kind of organically and naturally uh, as, as well. Obviously, there's going to be some that jump right up from, you know, 10 games to 81. That's great. God bless them. We love it. But you, you have to put the, you have to think about that stair step kind of growing a fan base, you know, or growing a fan over time.
0: Yeah. And that's a that's a lesson that I think we all can learn no matter what what industry we're dealing with, you know, though it be it sports or professional services or anything, because even for my business, I have a, you know, what I call an intimacy curve, right. Which is laid out with like all the free stuff all the way up to like, whatever the most expensive thing you could want to work with me on is right. And it's like, I know that most of the time, I'm not going to necessarily get you to swoop in and buy, you know, like a $50,000 private retreat, you know, you know, but yeah. can I get you there over time. Yes. Yeah. So, that, that point is extremely valuable for people to keep in mind because I think sometimes it's like if I can't sell you on the season ticket
1: today then you're
0: just you're dead to me what, what yeah what,
1: what, well it's kind of like you know it's really like you have to have the fa- I've really been developing this new kind of thought process like how do we build fans right you know in my and in, in, in my thing like you want a total fan you want someone that is at the games there's not to be at every game but is attending live games. Consuming your product or consuming your your brand on TV, so watching. Um, Buying merchandise, you know, engaged in, in, you know, buying some hats and shirts and some swag and things like that. And then lastly, like, you know, playing the game at some level, too. Like, whether it's pickup, softball, over the line, wiffle ball, you know, horse, whatever. Like, to me, that's a total fan. A total fan should be engaging in all four of those categories, and that's how you really – get sticky we like to say sticky a lot here like we want to get sticky with you as a, as a client right and make it difficult for you to walk away like if you're invested in three or four of those different categories and you're playing you're watching you're you know wearing the hat and you're coming to games um you know you're, you're, we're gonna be it's gonna be harder to lose you
0: yeah the I think that the, the total fan concept I like, um, at some point I'm going to steal Ken Troop's total fan concept and, and use it in something. <laughs> um, patent pending. <laughs> patent pending. And, but it, it does really, it resonates with me, especially because I know that you, you know that I think we're both very um, cognizant of the fact that if you're not playing and you're not engaged at all these levels, then it's easy for somebody to turn their back on you. Yeah. And I think that's really an emphasis that really needs to be consistently considered and, you know, implemented against. Right. You, you have to con- continually be like, hey, look, how do I keep people paying attention? Right. I mean, yeah. the TV numbers shouldn't be an absolute thing because the TV numbers and the TV money is only coming in at such great rates because people are watching. But if they're not engaged at all levels, that's going to come to an end at some point.
1: Yeah, and now I mean now with TV, I mean I mean like consuming de- consuming you know uh, media at some level, whether you're streaming a game, you know, or watching it you know live on your local Fox, you know, channel or whatever, you know, or watching highlights on your smartphone the next morning, things like that. Yeah, you know, the idea is you should be engaged at some level from a media source, right? Yeah, and listening on the radio too, because I grew up listening to Vince Gully and you know. It, there's just no other, you know, no other things that have made me more committed to, you know, I'm I work I've worked in every sport now, but you know I've been baseball fan, you know, since I was a little kid, and it was definitely those those vivid memory pictures that Vince Kelly would paint in my head, you know, when he was you know on the radio when I was falling asleep as an eight year old every night, you know. Yeah, that really that that
0: opens up a door to me about, you know, the need for better storytelling and that kind of the nostalgia and the intimacy of sports, which I think is lost, um, you know, in a lot of a lot of these conversations now. I want to touch on one more thing before we wrap this up, which is your famous Twitter chat, Social for Tickets, Tick Sales. And yeah. I know you've just switched over the format, but I kind of want, you know, I think it's been a great forum for people to engage and get to know each other. I mean, that's sort of how we came to, to first know each other, was through the, the chat. Um, yeah. What was kind of the mission and the vision behind that for people who don't know?
1: Um, wow. I mean, it's interesting. Only the, tough, been, only the been, easy been, questions. Doing, I've been doing this Twitter chat for, so. I went I went to uh, Ron Caterno with Full House Entertainment um, like in – man, I guess nine years ago and was like, hey, I've got this idea for this Twitter chat. You want to like help me out with it and go in on it with me, you know? Um, I think it's, this, it's a really great way to kind of share best practices. And I've always been one that throughout my career, they've been trying to focus on like best practices and sharing ideas. And, you know, we used to have rebel meetings at the Rangers where we'd pull in like two NFL teams, two NHL teams, two NBA teams, and some baseball teams and talk about best practices. So, uh, I was, I was, um, uh, I was bef- uh, before I was on Twitter, I was, um, Talking with with a friend of mine, and they asked me. We were talking about just careers and things like that. And he's like, "Hey, are you on Twitter," and I'm like, "No, what what do I have to say?" And he goes, "It's not what you say; it's who you listen to and what you say to that person." And that really kind of resonated with me. And that that day, I opened up my Twitter account, and then uh, I just started to do some research and some things. And I heard, you know, I heard about these hashtags and these chats. And I think SB Chat and myself were probably the first two. Uh, with with JW and, and Lou, um, with SB Chat, and then myself were one of the first two that ever that launched. And I, I can't tell you how much I mean. Besides going to grad school, the last ten years, you know, being on Twitter is probably the best thing for my career. Um, you know, because I'll go to conferences and things like that, and people know me from Twitter. So, um, but it's a really it's a great forum, But it's it's. I was talking to a colleague a few weeks a few months ago. I was in uh, I forget where I was, uh, and he was like man, I don't know how you do that, everything. Every Tuesday night, you're on there. I don't know how you do that. And I'm like, it's starting to get a little, that's why I'm going every other Tuesday now, just to alleviate some of the, some of the stress. But look, if you're not on Twitter and, 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 and really understanding the power of how it can help you network and grow your brand, I I think, I think you're missing out a little bit because it's such a powerful way to share ideas, get better, you know, make new connections. I have so many connections that, that I've made, you know, via via social media, it's, it's outstanding.
0: Yeah, I found it, uh, you know, and of course there's the uh, troll culture and everything else, but I found it to be an um, incredibly valuable tool. And I guess it's all in how you use it, right? I, because, you know, I've tried to be, made a conscious effort to, you know, to always try to maintain a much more positive thing and not get pulled into any of the, the trolling or anything like that. Yeah. Um, which is difficult because, you know, we kind of live in a troll heavy culture right now. Um, but let me ask you one more question about the Social for Tick sales. Um, you know, what, what has been the most surprising thing you found out by hosting this thing for nine years? Besides uh, the networking? I, I will capability.
1: tell you that I was uh, uh, at the CEO's office who I've never met face to face and it was Wednesday and he goes, Hey, great job on Twitter last night. That was kind of like a (laughs) mind blowing moment. Like, okay, here's a CMO of an NFL team that knows me because of Twitter, but yet they've never engaged in it on the, on the chat, but they've watched it. I've always been blown away by the people that will read the transcript and follow up and follow the hashtag, but maybe not engage. It's really interesting. It's a fickle science, right? Like you could ask a question like, Hey, who's got the best hot dog and like, Fifty people will jump in and tweet you know hey how can we save sports and there'll be like three people that jump in and say you know tweet so it's it, it, it's an interesting science for sure well, so we getting... forget saving sports biz what about the dodger dog is that really well got. dodger dogs are high for me because i grew up in la but i will tell you the sonora dog in in phoenix at the d-backs is the best hot dog by far i've had in the stadium so <laughs> it, it's
0: pretty good I'm partial, so really, Phoenix. to the Fenway Frank myself, but yeah.
1: <laughs> I like those too. But go, uh, you know, go, go, call Derek Hall and say you want to come to Phoenix and and, and come to this ballpark and get a Sonora dog because they're outstanding.
0: Yeah, they. they I have um, the Arizona Diamondbacks are always extremely nice to me, probably much more than I deserve in some cases. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, Ken, uh, before I say goodbye to you, um, how can people uh, find out find you besides on Twitter? Or how would you like them to keep in touch with you?
1: Uh, well, you can always, you can always uh, find me on LinkedIn. So big fan of LinkedIn. I'm always open for, you know, I've always been focused throughout my career, on like, you know, networking and giving advice back and things like that. I can't tell you how many kids over the years have, have come to me and said, Hey, eight years ago, I reached out to you on LinkedIn and you gave me some great advice. You mentioned it earlier. Someone said I gave him some advice. Uh, so LinkedIn for sure definitely follow me on uh, if you on... don't
0: mind it being public I do remember who it was now and I do remember what the vice advice was it was nothing bad it was Zach yeah. fish and he said that you told him to stay mobile
1: <laughs> <laughs> Zach Zach Fish is, is he is one of the hardest grinders I know in the sports business I
0: think he, he's, he's great th- I love I love him. he's a nice he's a nice guy <laughs> but he told yeah. me that, and I was like I lost it I was like it's so funny
1: yeah yeah. Okay, so
0: so LinkedIn, I cut you LinkedIn, off. But LinkedIn, and then
1: you can obviously follow me on Twitter at KT Sport Market, so it's another great way to follow me. And then all my my email and my contact information is is on my LinkedIn profile. So feel free to give me a call anytime.
0: Awesome. Well, Ken, let me let me thank you so much for doing this. I mean, I kept you probably much longer than I I intended to at the start, uh-huh. but we had like I thought we had a really nice conversation. So um, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, I appreciate it very much. It's uh, Thanks for thanking me. And hopefully uh, we can do this again in about another 100 episodes or so.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the Business of Fun podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ken Troop. If you'd like to find out more about what I'm up to, you can visit my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. You can also email me. It is my name, Dave, at davewakeman.com. In future episodes, I'm going to have a podcast where I answer many of these questions, and I share a little bit more about myself. I'm also going to start incorporating some of your feedback into the podcast and so how I present it. So make sure you send me those comments. Most importantly, thank you for listening, and I'll see you again soon.